Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Content warning check the show notes for more information. It's January 12th. 1967, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Late in the evening on this day in 1967, three men were working over the body of a psychology professor called James Bedford, who had sadly just died from kidney cancer at the age of 72. But while the manner of his death, which was just in a hospital in Glendale, California, wasn't especially unusual or interesting, what was being done to him certainly was, because Bedford was about to become the world's first cryopreserved human being, and it was about to be done by a former TV repairman named Robert Nelson. And as such, (laughs) today is Bedford Day. So happy Bedford Day, everybody. Apparently this is a day that is actually (laughs) celebrated within the cryonic community. Oh, happy Bedford Day, you guys. Exactly how they celebrate it, I'm not sure. Plenty of popsicles, presumably. (laughs) Brain freeze. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel that we ought to make the distinction between cryonics, which is the scientific study of ultra-low temperatures and how materials react to them, and cryogenics, which is what we're talking about, which is a, apologies to the enthusiasts, pseudoscience, which posits that human bodies can be cryogenically frozen and then later reanimated at some point in the future where the technology will have developed. Oh, you want to go there, do you? You want to go straight there as to pseudoscience? I mean... Can I just point out that... I mean, I'm not not saying I'm a cryogenic sympathiser. I'm just saying that there has been, in recent years, a team of scientists that have succeeded, Rebecca, at thawing Mm. a previously vitrified rabbit's brain. Now, admittedly, it was just the brain. The rabbit was still dead. But they did manage to defrost the brain and see the circuits in the brain reacting as they were before, which is kind of like bringing the rabbit back to life. I mean... (laughs) Obviously, it's based on a theory, which is that at some far-flung point in the future, medical science will have progressed to a point where it will overcome our current limitations and be able to solve the various ailments that cause our death, and specifically that it will be able to reverse the deaths of people who have currently died, providing they have been caught sufficiently early and in some way preserved for these future uh, speculative scientists to deal with. It's funny, isn't it, how the vocabulary even sounds ridiculous? Like, who have current (laughs) died imagine saying that yeah yeah no my father yeah he's he's currently dead yeah (laughs) but we're hopeful still (laughs) and as you mentioned arian the important thing is that the body is treated as quickly as possible after death and this proved to be a bit of an issue in james bedford's case because he died before the preparations were fully complete on the first ever bedford day well he didn't know it was bedford day at the time (laughs) Uh, the preservation ended up being a bit of a bit of a rush job um, because the preparations hadn't been completed in time and they had to wang into action. So there was, he spent several days packed in dry ice, which is not part of cryogenic freezing normally, um, before he could be immersed in liquid nitrogen, which is what is used to keep the body um, super cold without ice crystals forming. Mm. Um, but also a key part of the process is that because ice crystals would form in frozen blood, the blood is drained and replaced with a mixture of antifreeze compounds and organ preservatives. But in Bedford's case, either they were in a rush or there was some kind of miscommunication or misunderstanding because he simply had this solution injected into his veins with the blood still in them. Ooh. 
And I suppose that's partly because at this very, very early stage, this was such a fledgling science, if we're going to call it that. It was based on this chap called Dr. Robert Ettinger's 1962 book, The Prospect of Immortality, which posited the things that we're talking about now. But Nelson himself, who was a former TV repairman, had just sort of got interested in it in the way that many other people had got interested in this idea, sort of as science fiction, that he was hopeful would become science fact. And so he'd gone along to the first ever meeting of the suspended animation group, which was an early cryonics society, and found himself being elected their president. I don't know why you're saying all this with a smile on your face, Arian, with all these jibes <laughs> in being a former TV repairman. We've all got history, Arian. That's fine. I'm a former Ticketmaster call centre operative. Now I'm a smash hit history podcaster. <laughs> well, that is true also. But at least you had the equipment to do the thing that you were promising to do, which was to deliver a podcast, which was, as Rebecca was saying, not the case with Nelson, who by the time Bedford died, just the equipment wasn't there. And that's why they had to kind of go literally door to door around their neighbours, collecting ice from their freezers to try to pack into the makeshift coffin. It's not a coffin, it's a capsule that, that they'd built around him. Yeah, and this ultimately did catch up with Nelson in the 1980s when he was sued for letting clients' bodies thaw and decompose in the 1970s after running out of funding. So the, the current life extension centres have been set up. There's about 300 people currently in this suspended animation, if you will. But the costs are structured now in a way which means that they can continue to preserve them, whereas Nelson was kind of just agreeing because if you keep in mind that he had no scientific or medical background, he was just a real enthusiast. And I think he was really out of his depth when people started saying, okay, cryogenically freeze me when I die. So he had all these bodies on his hands. He wasn't really sure what to do with them. And he didn't have the money because the money that they paid up front quickly ran out and there was no structure in place to keep the funding coming in. What he did was basically lock the vault and walk away, just kind of hoping that the problem would fix itself. And instead he was sued successfully for $800,000. And then he lay low for decades and he only came back into the limelight in 2014. He released a memoir that was called Freezing People is brackets not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Which it it sounds like it wasn't. definitely true (laughs) i mean it's the practical considerations that aren't really forefront of mind when you commit to this endeavor isn't it so for example james bedford himself right he he died from an incurable metastatic kidney cancer now the clue's in the name incurable so i mean i i know that the theory is if the science has improved to the fact where you can reawaken his corpse then the science has improved to the fact where you'd be able to get rid of the kidney cancer when you woke him up as well but you're still You're still reanimating a diseased body Mm. decades after it died. You know, he wakes up and you've got to explain the internet and then quickly say, but we've got to do kidney surgery first. (laughs) There's a lot going (laughs) on. What psychologically is that going to do to him? His grandchildren are dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's hard. Mm. Well, I think I can help clear this up because it turns out that Bedford's motivations were entirely altruistic, according to Nelson, who says that Bedford told him, Mr. Nelson, I want you to understand that I don't do this thinking that I'm ever going to be resuscitated. I do it in the hopes that my children or my grandchildren will one day benefit from this wonderful science. So he was kind of giving his body to this experiment. 
So what's the point of keeping him frozen at all? Like, if they made a whole load of mistakes and he was kind of, like, semi-thawed, which is how I understand it. So, you like, you know when you leave the freezer door open overnight and your ice cream goes a bit fizzy? That's basically what's <laughs> happened to his body, right? His ice cream did not go fizzy. They did actually examine him in 1991 for the very reasons he just brought up. They thought that with all the botched stuff around the preservation, you know, it was, it was unclear what kind of condition he'd be in. However, they found that he, on the whole, was exceptionally well-preserved, as indicated. And this was, oh, do you know what? This whole subject didn't freak me out at all until I got to the bit where they said that they could tell that he had remained frozen for the whole time because the ice cubes around his body still had sharp corners (laughs) mm. it's unpleasant yeah (laughs) but I mean Nelson himself he defended the whole business saying that these early mistakes that led to slightly thawed ice cream people, um, that he regarded those people as the frozen heroes who were lost in a greater battle that was designed to save us all. But there was this other slightly horrific bit in his defence that he offered via his attorney, where um, apparently, so the bodies themselves had been donated to his society under a law called the Anatomical Gift Act, where basically, I suppose, you can donate your body to science and people can do with it as they wish. But Nelson himself said, according to my attorney, we could have ground them up for hamburger if that's what we wanted to do and I was like no 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 this is not going to be a self-defense that goes down very well particularly with the people who have lost loved ones (laughs) yeah well did you read about the situation with Dora Kent so this is an 83 year old woman whose son was on the board of Alcor one of the big companies in this space she died at the age of 83 with pneumonia but the coroner ruled that it was homicide because she wasn't technically dead when they injected her with a lethal dose of a barbiturate oh, before she was frozen. When they appealed, on the basis that she kind of volunteered to do it, and if that's true, then it was a mistake, and they thought she was dead. She might be the best preserved specimen because like, the ideal thing would be to kill someone with liquid nitrogen. So there's been no degradation at all. Step one in the murder plan is convince the victim to sign up to be cryogenically frozen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always thought it would be interesting as an experiment, and I realised that experimenting on prisoners is not fashionable these days. Oh, no. <laughs> but Ollie, don't go It here. would be interesting an experiment. No, 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 no. <laughs> to, I, I'm not saying I support the existence of death row. I'm saying since death row exists and prisoners have a choice of their execution method anyway, why not offer those people the option to be frozen alive because that would be the best specimen of all wouldn't it mind you no one's going to agree unless maybe that that we're imagining that future societies have moved on ethically and they're more willing to forgive people than yeah i was gonna say these would be the worst possible he murdered someone 800 years ago (laughs) (laughs) yeah i suppose that is quite a cold case (laughs) tomorrow a superfluity of diamonds in the world, but the diamond market has to artificially hold diamonds back. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.